Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diet Obsessed Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Santarelli, and this is a podcast for those of us who are just obsessed with all things diet culture, and we'd like to discuss the details and mention it all. All right, let's get into the episode. So today I'm going to be doing a review of a podcast called Unsavory, which is very interesting because it combines two of my loves, food and true crime. So really great stuff in that podcast. I'm going to probably do a few of these uh, episodes in the future. Today it's going to be about competitive food eating. Uh, So we'll get into that in a second, but first just a quick personal update. So I am back in Arizona. I flew, so today's Thursday. I'm taping this on a Thursday. I flew back and landed on, technically it was like Monday morning at like 1 a.m. I took a late flight out on Sunday. My mom dropped me off at the airport and we had a delicious Italian meal before I left. We stopped at this place in Portland called the Tuscan Table and had uh, this chicken parm, which I actually don't really love chicken parm, to be honest, but I did want pasta because this place had homemade pasta. And I I always like to try a red sauce at an Italian restaurant because that's really how I determine if it's a quality Italian restaurant. Uh, And I don't know, for some reason, I just don't love fried breaded chicken with mozzarella melted all over it in a red sauce. Um, I know that sounds strange because all those things are delicious, but I don't know the combination of all those things together. I prefer like a chicken Milanese, which is, you know, it's like fried and it just has like a, a salad on top with like a light dressing. But anyway, it, it was, it was decent. The red sauce wasn't great. Actually, the red sauce that my boyfriend made the other day for the It's Skinny Pasta that I posted on my Instagram account was actually better because the sausage that he used in it was, he used the turkey sausage in this red sauce and it was delicious. Um, the noodles, not so much. It was, I mean, it, it was very, very low carb, which is great. Uh, it's, I don't know if any of you have tried the It's Skinny noodles. I think they're made with like shirataki mushrooms. So you have to rinse them before you use them. And, you know, they have that kind of weird texture, but, um, but there's like basically almost no carbs in them. So he's on a low carb kick because we're, you know, we now have this Europe trip that we're planning and which already booked. So we're, we're going to Italy and Paris and all these really cool places later this year. So finally he's motivated to want to, you know, lose some weight and, and go low carb. Uh, so I'm benefiting from that. But anyway, so back to the meal at the restaurant. So they had this forcasha that I love forcasha. And they had it as an appetizer, but then if you ordered the pasta meal, it also came with a side of focaccia if you ordered it. So I was like, okay, so that's another reason I wanted the pasta. Now, the focaccia they brought was grilled, and I mean, it had this like very charred taste from the grill, which wasn't great, but um, but it was okay. And then the sh- I also got a short rib sandwich, and that was also on focaccia. Now, it was delicious. But the the focaccia is probably not the best bread for a short rib sandwich that's got a lot of juice because it just, the bottom side of the sandwich, and I ate it right away because I could tell it was getting soggy, which, I mean, who likes a soggy bun? You know, nobody. And, you know, I even had the aioli and the tomato on the side. So uh, anyway, but it was good. The fries were good. And then we had some gelato. 
I made sure to go starving. Like I just had like a very light protein shake earlier that day because I wanted to really fill up at the restaurant. That way I wouldn't be hungry on the plane because I I don't like to eat on planes anymore because I always get sick. If if I'm touching food and putting it in my mouth, it just I end up getting a cold. So I prefer not to eat on a plane. Um, now, so I, uh, so I'm flying the, f- now the Wi-Fi, of course, on Southwest didn't work. Thank God for podcasts. Uh, I downloaded a bunch. So I basically just listened to podcasts for six hours or eight hours, however long it was. Uh, now at the connection, it was like, I think it was like, I don't know. It was probably like 9 PM or something or 8 PM. And I was about to board the next flight. And I, I needed some food. Like I just, I, I wasn't hungry yet, but I knew that I probably would get hungry. And I, I went into that weird, like food panic mode where I'm like, well, I have this long flight and then I'm going to get home and I'm going to be starving and there might not be any food in the house. And what am I going to do? And, and so I'm like, I need to get something to bring with me just so I have it. And I can eat it when I need it or want it. And I, I was like kind of doing that thing where I'm like, oh, I want something salty and I want something sweet. So there was this Auntie Annie's pretzel place. I was hoping they had the ones with the jalapenos on them, but they didn't. So I just got one with pepperoni on it. And then there's a Cinnabon next to it. And I'm like, do I want the Cinnabon? And I, and again, I wasn't hungry at this juncture. I just felt like this food panic and I needed to have food with me. But I also started thinking like, how am I going to feel after I eat that Cinnabon? And how, like, do I want to feel that way? And uh, And so I didn't get the Cinnabon. But I got the Auntie Annie's and I shoved it in my bag and I felt, I felt safe. <laughs> I felt safe. I have food with me. I'm not going to starve to death on this plane. And um, so I get on the plane, we land, I get home and it was so good to be home. I mean, just seeing Chad, seeing the doggies. I mean, Chad was in bed when I got home because it was like 1am, but little doggies that I miss so much. And I figured I'd eat my Auntie Annie's pretzel when I got home, but I wasn't hungry still. Well, my stomach was growling a little bit, but I was just so exhausted and just not really in the mood to eat it. So I so I was like, okay, let me let me put this in the microwave so that it might stay a little bit good and maybe I can eat it tomorrow. But part of it was also like I had this like weird food behavior of trying to like, I, I didn't want Chad to see that I had this pretzel. I don't know why. Well, if I analyze why, <laughs> I think it's because, A, I didn't want to share it. <laughs> and B, because I didn't want to trigger him because he's in this low carb kick. So I knew if he saw this Auntie Annie's pretzel, he'd be like, oh, Auntie Annie's. And he'd probably start craving it and then go off his his track. So I, did, I didn't want to throw him off. And and I, I took like one bite of it the next day and threw it away. So what a waste, but, and I usually, again, I usually don't waste food like that. I usually, I like force myself to eat it, but I was like, no, I'm I'm not going to do it. So, so that was my weird food behavior coming back from travel, uh, which is very common for me, but, uh, yeah, there's basically no food in the house. So the first day I just had like protein shake and Chad made this like low carb ramen dish and I posted it on my Instagram. It was so sweet of him, again, to cook for me. Uh, it's nice to have a man that cooks. I don't know if any of you have ever had that, but it's a beautiful thing. I've, I, I've never had it. This is the first time that I've ever had a guy that actually knows how to how to cook. Now, as we've talked about in the past, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, Chad loves his salt. 
And I love my salt too, but not on his level. So he had put, he had put so much soy sauce and just, I could not, I could not eat it. I was like, it's, it's, it really is like delicious and flavorful. And there was a lot of chicken in it. So I did eat some of the chicken and, but it was just so salty. I'm like, I can't do it. So I gave it back to him. He, he finished it off, but it was, it was a, it was a really nice gesture. It's just too, too salty. Now I did order purple carrot so Purple Carrot is that mo- uh, food delivery service where it's kind of like um, HelloFresh. So I've done HelloFresh before. It's basically like you cook it yourself, but they send you all the ingredients. And Purple Carrot is vegan. Now, I'm not vegan, obviously, but my friend Michelle orders this and she sent me like her little link so I could get a free box. And I've just been wanting to try it. Everything that she made when she was cooking for me, she made me a couple meals when I was staying with her once. They were delicious. They were delicious. I felt really good eating them because it's all whole foods. It's really healthy, good nutrition, high protein, uh, high carb, obviously, because, you know, vegetarian proteins are, you know, higher carb, but but really healthy. So and, and very um, nutrient dense is what I what I mean by healthy. So <clears throat> so I'm excited to try it. I picked out all some some really good meals. So I will be sharing that. Um, you know, the results of those meals here, I'll tell you what they are. I'll tell you how delicious or not delicious they are. And I'll be posting pictures on my Instagram at the diet obsessed podcast. So I don't know if any of you have ever tried purple carrot, but I'm really excited to try it. So I did start this new job. I I mentioned it last week. Um, again, I'm not going to really detail a lot about it because, a, I, I, I'm still not sure if I'm going to stick with it long term. Um, I don't know if I, I'm not really thriving in the role that I'm in right now. So and I, I, I'm brand new. I need to give myself grace. I'm trying to not to be too hard on myself. But uh, yeah, it, it, I do feel like a, a like a juggling act right now between the podcast, the cannabis company and um, and then this new job. So so far it's working out. I'm, um, I'm managing everything. I'm just, you know, being back right now, I'm trying to get organized and do all these things that I promised myself I'd do in 2023. So I'm off to a good start, but the jury's still out on whether this job is going to work out. And, um, the, you know, the cannabis operator that we won the arbitration against, of course, just sent a motion to fight the, the arbitration results today. So, so it's going to be a long time probably before we collect our damages. And, you know, when I saw that motion come through, I mean, I was expecting it. It's not a shock. I knew that they would fight paying us the the money that they owe us, but it just, it like got me back in that negative headspace where I started swirling and I started thinking about all the people that wronged me. And uh, it's, it's so bad. Like I'm like, no, Veronica, get the hell out of that toxic loop in your head just focus on moving forward and eventually things will work out so um so it it, and it has been a relief to just have this side hustle thing that i'm because i don't if it works out okay if it doesn't okay like whatever but it's at least it's an additional you know thing that i can focus on where it's something that will take my mind off everything that i'm doing here with the cannabis company and um, hopefully we'll work out. We'll see. But that leads me to 
Um, I will probably talk a lot more about this new job and a lot about a lot of other things through the new subscription model that I'm just rolling out. So you'll probably see it for the first time as you go to listen to this episode. Um, I'm launching this new subscription thing that Buzzsprout, where I host my my podcast, is is now rolling out. And I've 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 been meaning to do something like this. I've talked about it a bunch of times in different episodes how I've wanted to start a Patreon. And for those of you that don't know what Patreon is, Patreon is the separate app where a lot of podcasters will create um, extra premium content that um, people can basically sign up for their Patreon. It's a paid service, and they just get extra premium content through Patreon if they really like a, a, a show that they're watching and, and want to follow it and support it. So I and and also it's you know it's a paywall, so you can you know there just aren't going to be as many people listening. Um, and so it's, it's an opportunity for creators to be able to speak a little bit more freely. Um, you know, I know that there's been some stories I've kind of stopped myself from sharing here because it's either too personal or I just don't want it getting back to the people that I'm talking about, uh, or the companies that I'm talking about really. So, um, behind this new subscription paywall, uh, I will definitely be telling those stories. I will be mentioning the names. I will be talking about all the details that I just can't speak as freely about in this open forum. Um, and so what you'll see is the the show is going to change a little bit. So for those of you that, um, that listen four times a week, so right now what I'm going to start doing is I'm still going to put out free monthly podcasts. I'm just going to be doing a bi-weekly uh, release of the free episodes. And then I'm also going to be releasing two additional episodes that are for subscribers only. And those subscriber-only podcasts will have, you know, the juicier stories, the stuff I just can't say on the free podcast, um, there'll be bonus episodes for subscribers. So I might do five episodes in, in a month and those subscribers will get all of those. I might do six in a month. I mean, eventually um, there are times that I've wanted to put out additional podcasts, but I, I want to do that for people that are actually subscribing and supporting the show. So, you know, if you love the podcast, I would love you to subscribe and support um, support the show. Uh, if you are, if you love the show and just, you're just not in a financial position to do so, no worries. Like nobody understands that more than me. So no problem at all. Just please still enjoy the two bi-monthly episodes I'll be putting out. Uh, but for those that are in a position to support and love the show, I would love you to subscribe. So you'll see that through, and I love the the fact that it's just going to be in your regular podcast feed because I was worried about, you know, the people that do want to support the show. I was, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to send them over to Patreon. They have to download that new app and sign up. And, you know, it's, it's just a lot more work. Whereas with this model, if you want to support the show, you just click subscribe. And it's super, super easy. And then you just get the extra episode. So, so that's what I'm going to be doing. So this one will be a free episode. I wanted to make the announcement. I wanted to just kind of talk about the why behind it. 
Um, I, I do, there's a lot I, I want to say that I just, again, can't share as openly in this um, open forum, but will be for the subscription model. So wanted to make that announcement, wanted everybody to have the opportunity to understand, you know, what we're doing now and, and the format of the show and all of that, those good things. And so, uh, so just look for that in your, wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, so now let's get into the review of Unsavory. And this one is about the dangerous world of competitive eating. Now, I don't know why. Well, actually, I do know why I, I clicked on this one. First of all, I am, I, I've, see, I've seen competitive eating shows before. They are disgusting. Um, and back when I, I used to have this like fantasy slash dream where, and this, and the reason I had this dream is because I was deep in my disordered behaviors where I'd be like, you know, trying not to eat at night, you know, only eating protein and vegetables at night, um, trying to be thin and perfect for my ex and, um, you know, feeling like I just, I had to not put a morsel of food in my mouth past a certain time. And so I'd go to bed starving you know, because all of you know, I like to eat at night and it's torture if I don't. So, uh, so I'd go to bed hungry. And so what I would do in order to like ease my mind and not get up and eat is I, I dream about being in an eating contest, (laughs) but, uh, but it wasn't the, it wasn't a real one. The way I would imagine it is I'd have this huge table of food in front of me and I'd have all the most delicious foods that I'd want. I'd have donuts and I'd have like pasta and pizza. And the rule was I got to take my time eating everything, but I had to eat as much as I possibly could in a certain amount of time. And just like being able to like fantasize about the food that I wanted to eat would allow me to, you know, to, to drift off to sleep most nights. And, and again, (laughs) sounds very unhealthy, um, but that's, that's what I used to do. So, and, and when you really look at how competitors, if you've ever seen a competitive, you know, real competitive food eating contest, like they'll dip the, the buns in water to like be able to swallow them easier. It's super, super gross, very nasty and disturbing. But of course, I wanted to talk about it because it is kind of a, a an interesting topic, and and it is dangerous. So, so unsavory. This podcast in general brings together, like I mentioned earlier, true crime and um, and food, and it's it's hosted by two registered dietitians, uh, Sarah and Becca. Uh, Sarah is at Sarah Does Nutrition, and Becca is at Nutrition Junkie. And so they started the podcast just talking about how, um, you know, some people consider, you know, competitive food eating a professional sport and some people don't. And the reason that people feel like it is a sport is because there are sponsors. It's very organized and professional. There are cash prizes. There's dedicated fan bases. Um, There's world records that are held and broken. Uh, And it does take a combination of natural ability and trained skill. Uh, However, the competitors often become, you know, laden with physical pain. They're very uncomfortable. And really, it could be considered self-destructive. 
um, you know, a form of self-abuse. And then for people that are very conscious about food insecurity and food waste, of course, it's very, very wasteful of food. And so, and if, and then, you know, whereas, well, you know, a lot of people like after, um, you know, training for their, whatever competition they're typically in, a lot of times they might, you know, they have improved health in terms of having fit bodies because they're, you know, they're athletic. Although there are lots of injuries, of course, that come through training for professional sports. But, you know, they were talking about how, especially after an eating competition, most people feel terrible. You know, they've just, they're full, they're obviously overly full um, to the point of, of, of becoming sick. And then, of course, there's the safety issue where the American Medical Association called um, the practice of competitive eating very unhealthy with potentially adverse consequences. And, um, and so they kind of got into the history of, like, how did this even start, right? Like, where did this even begin, and so it dates back, they, they kind of went all the way back in time to the 13th century, where there was the first document documentation of, of an eating contest. And it was this gentleman by the name of Nicholas Wood. He was called the Great Eater of Kent in the 17th century. And he would eat as much as 60 eggs, a lamb shank, multiple pies, and he became so well known that he kind of became like a sight to see. So he would go to fairs, they would, um, and, and he would have people compete with him to see if they could eat more than him. And, and he eventually, the story ends where he lost his teeth biting into, into lamb shanks and ended up having to, you know, being forced out of the, the, the competition. Uh, then it fast forward to the mid 19th century where, of course, the Industrial Revolution changed the way that we eat. Uh, of course, now refrigeration became a thing. Canning became a thing. Um, you know, the processing of food made it, you know, took away some of the food insecurity that existed in the past, made food more accessible. There Now they, there, was, there were agricultural contests. You know, who could grow the best crop? Who could grow the largest pumpkin or squash, um, best pies. And then pie eating contests became a thing. The very first one took place in Toronto in 1878. And um, throughout the 19th century, there were pie eating contests at county fairs. Actually, my sister has competed in a pie eating contest. Uh, and she filmed it for her show that she does in Maine. And uh, in 1916, that's when it became, you know, so in 1916, there was a gentleman by the name of Nathan Handworker, and he opened a very famous hot dog stand called Nathan's Famous on Coney Island, and he would hold a uh, hot dog eating contest on the 4th of July every year. And one year, there was um, a bunch of immigrants that took took part in it to see, you know, the winner was supposedly the most patriotic. And there was this Irish immigrant that won, and he was able to eat 13 hot dogs with their buns. And that was the record at that time. Uh, and then what ended up happening, that was kind of like this really popular event, but it would only happen once a year. And it was at this very specific place. 
but then in 1972, a couple of PR agents took over the marketing of this event. Uh, They were named Morty Matz and Matt Rosen, and then they hired this additional guy called uh, George Shea. And basically, they took this hot dog eating contest that was happening at Nathan's Famous from just this little local event to this national extravaganza. And so by the mid-1990s, it had become this sensation. And other restaurants kind of wanted to jump on the bandwagon because it was great marketing. It's great PR for these places. And, you know, it gets it gets the attention of people and attention for the restaurants. <clears throat> and so the Shea Brothers then founded the International League of Competitive Eating, which later became the Major League, uh, Major League Eating. And they would host all kinds of random events um, with different types of food. And the host detailed a few that stood out to her. She said there was uh, fried asparagus, mayo. Well, can you imagine be competitively eating mayo? I cannot stand mayo. Gross. Tiramisu, chicken wings, bugs. Lovely. Pasta. I could. I would do that one. Pumpkin pie. Yum. Um, but it has to have vanilla ice cream on it. Uh, waffles. I do love a waffle. Uh, pepperoni rolls. Now, I, I'm imagining that's kind of like some sort of pizza, but basically rolled up. I don't think it's like just pepperoni. Uh, spinach and then tacos. Those were the ones that she mentioned. And these contests would have a $10,000 prize for winning. Um, and it became this iconic American eating event. Even ESPN would broadcast it. That's probably where I saw it. I think like my dad used to always have ESPN all, all the time. And I, I remember seeing a competitive eating contest. There was this other zombie pub crawl where people would eat tacos with pig brain in them. Disgusting. And so, so competitors would... They would train for this. I mean, it was real a real sport to them. They would work on different um, different little things that would improve how much they could intake. They would work on the speed, the volume that they could consume. A lot, and and the the ultimate prize was this mustard yellow belt, and it would it would go to the winner of the hot dog eating contest every year. Currently. The the belt is held by this guy named Joey Chestnut. He's become the most famous, prolific, um, you know, competitive eater in the world. He holds world records for the following foods. So he ate, in eight minutes, he ate 17.5 pounds of cherry pie. In a minute and 50 seconds, he ate... 10 cups of ramen noodles. In eight minutes, he won another contest where he ate 82 tacos. Another contest in 10 minutes, he ate 52 cheeseburgers. And there was another contest where he, in eight minutes, he ate 18 pounds of shrimp cocktail. Another contest in 10 minutes, ate 28 pounds of poutine. Poutine is delicious, but so heavy. 28 pounds? That's insane. Uh, In 10 minutes, he ate 47 grilled cheese sandwiches. In 8 minutes, 
In 10 minutes, he ate 47 grilled cheese sandwiches. In eight minutes, another contest, he ate 141 hard-boiled eggs. In 10 minutes, in another contest, ate 76 hot dogs. And that was, uh, that was set in, that record was set in 2021. And basically what that amounts to is eating 20,000 calories in 10 minutes. And so this, this, he was featured in this documentary called The Good, the Bad, and the Hungry. And there, there was a rivalry because before Joey Chestnut, there was a guy named Kobayashi and he was this Japanese competitive eater and he was the best competitor that the world had ever seen. And people were just fascinated with him because he, he didn't fit the traditional mold. The contest that he won, he won six contests at Nathan's Famous in a row, tripled the last winner in 2001, his very first time competing he ate 60 hot dogs, and whereas before, people had only been able to eat 20. Actually, no, I'm sorry. I think he ate 50 hot dogs that time. That was the that was how many he ate at that time to win, and the, the people had only been able to eat 20. And, and people loved him. Like I mentioned, he didn't fit that typical mold. He's muscular. He's fit. He's 5'8", weighed 128 pounds. And he treated it like a real sport. He would jog for hours. He would stretch his stomach out with water. And, and this is dangerous. It's, it's absolutely not recommended because it can reduce your sodium so low. Um, and, or, and, and you need sodium in your system. You can, you could have major health complications from not having enough sodium. And then also there's this thing called water intoxication where if you don't have enough electrolytes, um, it can, you can actually die from that. So he would just do different techniques where he would stretch his stomach with cabbage. He just had all these different techniques that would allow him to, you know, to to win, to and to set new records for what um, you know, what had never been done before. So and he had a specific technique of breaking the hot dog up into 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 pieces, putting them into different parts of his cheek, and he was the first guy that did the dipping the bun in the water. Disgusting. Um, and so Joey Chestnut saw him and was really like inspired by him. And so Joey, it, it made Joey want to work on his technique. So he gave Joe Kobayashi a run for his money. He, you know, came close to beating him many, many times until he finally beat him in 2007 on the 4th of July by eating 60 hot dogs. Gross. Um, and that was the last time they ever competed with each other. So, um, now what ended up happening with Kobayashi is, um, they, so basically they want, they didn't want the major league eating, uh, the major league eating that organization didn't want Kobayashi to, uh, compete in other comp in other like small competitions. They wanted him to be exclusive to the major league eating competitions, but he still went and violated those rules and still competed in other places. So major league eating ended up banning him, and but he showed up anyway at one of their events and they had him arrested. So it sounds pretty serious. But, um, but anyway, you know, to sum it up, it basically sounds like this is very competitive. People take it really, really seriously. 
um, you know, the people that don't think it's a sport, they, they don't think it's so because it's a basic human function. You know, it's not, they, they don't think it's an athletic skill. But, you know, if you look up the definition of a sport, uh, you know, something that takes physical ex- exertion or skill, it does technically meet that that definition. But it can be really, really dangerous. And um, there was a study uh, talking about, like, the, the consequences of speed eating. And they looked at how, you know, a person that had been, you know, competitively eating they compared they compared the rate of their gastric emptying and it was done regarding the consequences of speed eating and so the they were basically looking at um a non-competitive eater and a competitive eater and it took the they looked at the rate of gastric emptying and the, the competitive eater could eat 36 hot dogs without feeling too full or too much discomfort, whereas the non-competitive eater could only eat seven hot dogs before saying that they were going to be sick if they ate another bite. Uh, and the ga- But the gastric emptying was the same. So basically, they wanted to look and see if competitive eaters like digested their food faster than non-competitive eaters, and, and if that was maybe why... They were able to fit so much more food uh, without getting those those hunger cue or those uh, satiety cues that would make you want to puke, basically. And and you know it's like your brain telling you stop eating, you've had too much. They're looking at you know the difference between those mental cues and gastric emptying. And so basically, what had happened is the competitive eater had trained his brain to not react to a certain level of fullness in the stomach and ignore the fullness cues. But the the repercussions of that is that now competitive a lot of competitive eaters never feel satisfied. Um, and 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 the some of the people that competed in or that took part in the study uh, talked about how you know competitive eating left them unable to feel any type of like satiation. I don't know if that's a word, but satiety. And that there really was a, a potential for long-term damage because of that. The other, you know, the other dangers involved in this, of course, can have to do with people that choke. So here's where kind of like that criminal part comes in. Now, it's not, um, you know, criminal behavior necessarily, but people have died as a result of eating contests that maybe weren't well thought out, if you will. So they talked about this story of this woman named Caitlin Nelson, and she was going to Sacred Heart College in Connecticut, studying social work, uh, and she was the VP of her sorority, and the sorority was putting on a pancake eating contest, and, and she was at, so she took place, she took part in this contest, and after her fourth or fifth pancake, she started choking. And there was a nursing student in the audience that jumped up to try to help her, but they just couldn't clear her throat and she ended up dying. I mean, can you imagine? Like, it it seems like a fun, harmless contest, fun, interesting, we'll draw crowds. It was probably for like a charity or something or trying to raise money for the sorority. Who knows? They were probably doing it for a charity. And, but they didn't really think about the fact that uh, like pancakes are spongy and and are probably a lot more prone to getting stuck in your throat. 
Although hot dog buns, you'd think that that would get a little bit spongy, but maybe just not as cake-like and spongy as a pancake. I don't know. It seems weird that there was a nurse there and they couldn't clear her throat, but that's so scary. I I, I hate it when people start choking around me. I panicked when I... Oh, what is happening here? Sorry, my microphone keeps going out, so I probably got cut off there, but... Um, I mean, my headphones keep getting cut out or the microphone. Anyway, uh, so, so yeah, so not well thought out. Definitely, you know, who, who knew that this harmless, you know, pancake eating contest could result in a death. Uh, so then they talked about this other contest that took place in 2012 and there was this Ben Siegel reptile store in Deerfield Beach, Florida, that held a contest where people had to eat as many worms and roaches ugh, in four minutes without vomiting. The prize was a python, which is in, and a python that costs like $260. I mean, it's not a huge prize to win to eat worms and roaches. But of course, you know, some people would be into the challenge just because it's a weird challenge. And so this guy named Edward Archibald competed. Uh, the people at the store knew who he was. He was this like wild and kind of eccentric man. And so he ended up winning, but then shortly after started throwing up, they realized they rushed him to the hospital, but they realized he was choking on roaches and worms and he he died. Crazy. And then... A final story that they shared took part, took place in Queensland, Australia. There was a 64-year-old gentleman who took part in a chili pie eating contest, and he was only able to eat a few mouthfuls. He ended up having a heart attack and died. And I've seen, so I don't know if any of you have ever seen Man vs. Food, but that guy, I mean, I've been concerned for him many, many a time. So he goes to restaurants all around the world. And there's these restaurants that are like, well, if you can eat this thing, and it's like a crazy, massive amount of food, then you, you know, get your name on the wall, you get your that meal for free, and you basically win basically nothing. But it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's that comp- competitive eating. And I mean, I, I, I love this show because I'm just, I'm fascinated that this guy can eat so much. And he's, he, I mean, he definitely, he's, when the older episodes, he was definitely over, you know, a, a, he, a little heavier. He did uh, take a break from the show. I don't know if he's still doing it, but he did like lose a bunch of weight. And then I think he did go back to it. But I'll never forget, there was one he did with like chilies. And I think it was ghost chilies, those ghost pepper chilies that are insanely hot. My sister also took part in in one of those, I think, somewhere in Maine. And I'm like, Vanessa, be careful. Like you really, I mean, something like that could give you a heart attack. I thought the guy, the man versus food guy was going to have a heart attack. I'm like, this guy's going to have a heart attack someday, especially just because of all like consuming that much food. It just, you know, to the point where, I mean, he's I don't know that he's stretched his stomach like a professional competitive eater because if you watch the show, like he looks like he's about to throw up as he's getting towards the end of things. He often gets it all down. And uh, it's just it's just interesting to see because, you know, he'll start he's, you know, starts out, he's doing doing good, it's going down easy. 
And there's always like part of the meal that's just so like, you know, carby and heavy, like, you know, if it's pancake, well, I don't, I think he did a pancake one. Maybe he didn't. Um, anyway, he's done some really interesting ones. So if this, this interests you, go check out Man vs. Food because it's, it's not as disgusting as true competitive eating. You know, he's, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Anyway, I love, I love that show. Then they talked about how the host talked about how there's no long-term eating studies on this. Uh, and really it's kind of, it could be considered like competitive binge eating if you really think about. The hosts were kind of pondering like, you know, does it, does this type of competitive eating attract people with disordered eating behaviors? Is that, or is that who competes in these types of things? I don't know about that. I mean, I don't know. I would imagine that the people that compete in these things love food, love to eat large quantities of food, have always been known to be able to eat a ton of food, and also have a healthy competitive spirit. Um, I don't know. I wonder, I don't know if there's if there's disordered behaviors behind that, but yeah, you never know. Uh, and so... That's basically where they ended. They were just kind of hypothesizing on, you know, who who participates in these kinds of things. Um, you know, you're, you're stretching the stomach, the, the muscles in your stomach. You know, it's high volume eating. Uh, and so they did share that there was a woman who used to have eating dis- an eating disorder who then became a competitive eater. And it actually got her to overcome her disordered eating behaviors and her eating disorder because it made her feel more empowered. So again, to each his own, right? I, you know, if, if this is something that appeals to you, more power to you, I will just, you know, my little dream of competitive eating slowly, just so I could eat all the delicious food I wanted to. That's obviously not a realistic situation. Um, you know, I was not dipping my donuts into water in the dream. Uh, so yeah, so that's where, so that was unsavory, uh, all about competitive eating. I will do, there's some other very interesting topics under unsavory, a couple more under maintenance phase that I want to get to. Uh, so please follow me on Instagram at the diet obsessed podcast. Um, please leave a review for this podcast, which just means go scroll down wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, leave a comment, leave some stars. It really means a lot. I uh, would love you to subscribe to the podcast for those of you that are able to and want to support. Uh, you just click the subscribe button. And until we meet again, I hope all of you have a very balanced day.